Okay, we are in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And let's pick it up from verse verse uh, 8, which will overlap a little bit with things that we've already covered. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, of good things. However, they did not heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Okay, so in verse 8, he says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Uh, remember, there is nothing, nothing good in human beings. The scriptures say in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, Romans 3, verse 10 through 12, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for, the, for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. All right? So he's, that's pretty emphatic. I mean, there's none, there's none, there's none. I mean, it tells us over and over again. So even this word that is in, that, the, this word that is near us in our mouth and in our heart in verse 8 of Romans chapter 10, that has been placed there by God. It is not inherent within people. Everything we have, if there's anything good, it's been placed there by God. And, but he says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. So this is accessible. And that's why when he tells us in verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have to believe in our heart in the resurrection. That is a fundamental thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, um, then there's be a, a confession. And he says in verse 9, in verse 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. With the heart he believes, and with the mouth he confesses. So you see this, this, uh, this something stirring in our heart. What we do in our heart can condemn us. What we do in our heart can be, can get us saved. The verse that really spoke to me, that really convicted me of my sin when I was 18 years old was Matthew chapter 5, verse Verse 27 and 28, particularly verse 28, but let's start reading from verse 27, Matthew 5:27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Something that we do in our heart can make us guilty. And this was very unusual to me. It's not unusual to an Orthodox Jew, but it's unusual to a 
to a secular Jew, which is what, what I was. And uh, uh, he start, says in verse 27, you've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. I want you to remember that. You shall not commit adultery. So most of you here in this room are not married yet. Uh, uh, but but uh, uh, it's very clear, you shall not commit adultery. I'll tell you that there are many temptations that come to people in their lives, many temptations. But any person that I know, any person that I know regrets when they have committed adultery. So much they regret it. It's destroyed their lives, it's destroyed their family. A person cannot commit adultery without it waking them up in the middle of the night, just regretting what they have done. And if you ask a person, do you wish you could, if, if you could, would you go back and turn back the clock and not do that? Everyone says yes, because they see the destruction that has come. So I, I challenge you and I warn you this day about adultery. If you think, oh, that, that couldn't happen to me, then you are the prime one who this could happen to. If you think this could never happen to me, this could absolutely, therefore, happen to you. Because when we, in our pride, think that we cannot fall, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. The cry of our heart should be, Lord, protect me from this. Lord, deliver me from this evil. Keep me from temptation and deliver me from this evil. But then he goes on to say that you can commit adultery in your heart. Now, committing adultery in one's heart is different than doing it in the flesh. When people have this idea that all sins are the same, that is not scriptural. There were different penalties for different sins in the scripture. They are all the same in the sense that they all keep us from God. But the outcome is very different. The outcome is very different. If you go out and you murder somebody in the physical, it's very different than murdering somebody in your heart. One, you go to jail for the rest of your life. The other, you don't. All right. So, so uh, um, uh, they're very, they're very different sorts of things. But he talks about the heart, something that can happen in your heart. This is what hit me. Something that I do in my heart, something that I do in my heart, can make me, make it such that I've committed adultery. And that's what really caught my attention because as a Jew, I knew about adultery. But then, then it goes on to talk about things that can be done in, in the heart. And so the next verse he shared with me when I got saved was from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, faith, something that I do in my heart can get me saved. The scriptures over and over again are getting at our heart. As we saw from the beginning of, of, of chapter 10, it says that, that, that Israel had zeal, they had excitement for the Lord, but they didn't have full knowledge. They didn't have full knowledge, thinking that, that somehow they could get their own righteousness through their works. Uh, but what, it, what is stressing in verse 3 of, of, of chapter 10, verse 3 of chapter 10, Romans says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Faith comes apart from human merit. Faith is apart from human merit. It's not something we earn by doing works. And this faith has to be, it, it's something that's done in the heart. And he's getting it in our hearts. So that's why in verse 10 it says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. 
For the scripture says, who, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, or whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I have never known anyone who said, I am sorry that I came to know the Lord. I wish I had not made that decision. I've never known anybody. I've known people to say, ever since I came to the Lord, I've seen persecution like I've never known before. I've seen attack from the enemy like I've never known before. And you know what I have to say about that? Good. That's fine. That's just fine. That's going to make you stronger. That's exactly why it comes. But I've never known anybody to regret coming to the Lord. And I'll give you another thing I've known I've never known anyone to regret, since there's a lot of students here. I've never known any person to re- regret finishing their degree. I'm not. Never known anybody. To, many students have come to me over the years that they felt they were being called to the mission field. I said, that's great. After you get your degree. You're not going to leave school now. Oh, no, I, I, I really feel that... May, no. I said, you're wrong. You're not hearing God right. You're going to finish your degree. And I've never known anybody to to regret that. I've never known anybody in a PhD program to finish it and regret having finished it. I've known many people to regret having not finished it. So, uh, uh, I've never, he says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, he says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You'll never regret coming to the Lord. It changes your life for the good. And then in verse 12 of Romans chapter 10, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile, there is one way to be saved and that is through Jesus Christ. If you think that the Jews can get to the, get to God without Jesus Christ and get salvation, I don't know what Bible you're reading. It's not, it's not in this Bible. It's not in the New Testament. Everything has to go through Christ. Only in Him, only in Him is there salvation. There's salvation only in Jesus. Whether it's Jew or Greek, the same Lord is Lord of all. And it says He is abounding in riches for all who call on Him. When we call upon Him, when we choose to follow Jesus, when He puts that in our heart, and He gets our, 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 our uh, um, uh, He get, He gets our will to go along with His will. He really does. And when we follow Him, we walk with Him. There is an abounding in riches when we learn to walk with Him. We it abounds. I know that if we by faith take hold of the promises that are there, He can make you excel so much in your career, in your work. If you're not excelling in your career, he'll give you a new career. He wants you to to do this. There's so much that can happen. Sometimes you're not excelling because he wants you to be redirected into something else. I mean, he uses things to open doors and close doors in our lives. But, But it says he is abounding in riches for all who call on him. And these riches go way beyond money. Way beyond money. In fact, when you when you have Jesus, the interest of money... The, the desire for money actually begins to subside because you see that it, it, it has so little hold on you when you have Jesus. You just want more of Him. He's abounding in riches for all who call on Him. Verse 13, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether Jew or Gentile, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
This name of the Lord is, is, is the, 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 it says in Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Whoever runs into it will be safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Whoever runs into it will be safe. And I've told my kids growing up that you call on the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. You call on the name of the Lord when you're in trouble. You call on the name of the Lord. He will be your safety. I remember one time I was driving. I dropped off Shireen in Syracuse, New York. I was driving down to New York City and I was going down 81 South and it was in a snowstorm and that is just a wicked road. And I was driving and, and, uh, all of a sudden, I must have hit some ice because the car started going sideways, just down the road. I mean, the same speed, but sideways. And I remember saying, Jesus, help me! And the car went, boop! Just perfectly straight. There's, I didn't touch the steering wheel, nothing. I was afraid to do anything. And just, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be safe. When you are in trouble, you call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord. The Bible is very specific. I urge you to take upon yourself the specificity of what it says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it will be safe. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. And so now what he does is he asks a series of questions where each one of those is 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 priming him to go to go forward and bring on the next thing. And so you see the way, this is a letter, so it's not like he's talking to people. He's writing, but he's priming this with all of these questions, with sort of this Socratic method. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? So there's four questions that are there. How, the first one in verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they going to call on him who they have not believed? And how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? So in other words, they have to hear the gospel. And, and, um, you know, a lot of people think I'm real bold in sharing the gospel. Um, I actually think just the opposite. Uh, there are so many times that I have not opened up in sharing when I should have. I I have zero regrets, zero regrets for sharing the gospel. Even times when people have gotten upset with me for sharing, I don't regret sharing. You, you know, and, and uh, uh, but what I regret are the times that I kept my mouth shut. That's my greatest regrets: the times that I didn't share when I should have shared. And it's not just times from long ago. It's times all the time when I, when I fail to speak up. Then he says, And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And Jesus has sent us. He has sent us. I am not a preacher. I am not an evangelist. But I want to testify about Jesus. Then he says, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. You know, God speaks about this. If I will only speak up, if I will only speak up more. Look what he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who will bring good news of good things. If I will only speak up more, more praise will come. Where just praise will go forth from all the angels. 
I mean, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Surely that was spoken of, of our Lord Jesus Christ who brought this good news. But it's not just isolated to Him. I mean, when we speak up, it brings just so much more glorification. So much more. And I, I say this, I say this with great shamefacedness. I say this with embarrassment that I don't speak up enough. I don't speak up enough. And, and in that is my greatest regret, regret. Verse 16. However, they did not heed the good news. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. They did not heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So this is from our favorite favorite uh, um, chapter in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the words word of Christ. Every good thing comes through Jesus. Everything is through Jesus. And this is why we talk about Him. This is why we praise Him. Everything good comes through Christ. This message of the gospel. He says in verse 16, They did not heed the good news, for as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? They didn't heed the good news. I mean, we have to, we, we have to respond to this. Look in, look in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says, For indeed we've had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Just to have the good word spoken to us is insufficient. It has to be united by faith. And that's, that's across the board. That has to do with the gospel, but it's also all the other things in the Bible. When God says, do not fear. I mean, we have to take hold of this. We have to begin to take hold of this and believe it. So he says, he says, they had good news preached to them, but the word they heard didn't profit them. The things that we read do not profit us. The things that we hear do not profit us unless we couple them with faith. Lord, May I take hold of this? This is where scripture meditation comes in. It is not merely reading. There's so many more passages about meditating on the scripture than reading it. And so meditation is this. You read a verse and you just stare at this and say, Lord, speak to me through this. Speak to me. Lord, make this real in my life. Do this. And then you go on to the next verse. Do this in my life, Lord. What are you trying to say to me? And then God begins to speak into your life. And when your eyes get stuck on a verse and keep going back to the verse, God's particularly trying to speak to you. This is what happens in scripture meditation. Far more verses speak about meditation than reading. Reading, you can just, okay, read a whole chapter. Speed reading. (laughs) No, it is slow. It is pensive. It is deliberate. This is what scripture meditation is. It is meditation on the Word of God. Lord, do this in my life. Lord, let me not just be a hearer of the Word, but a doer. Do this in my life. And we need to ask God to do this in our lives. They heard this Word, but it didn't profit them. It says in verse 17, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. This is why, brethren, saturate your lives with the Word of God. Saturate it with the Word of God. I urge you, if you have not yet gotten into this pattern 
of rising up in the morning and spending time in the Word of God. Don't use other books. Don't think you can substitute this with another book. I'm talking about this book, the Bible. Fear the man. Fear the woman who knows this book. If they know this book, if you know this book, you've committed passages to memory because you've meditated on those things. Not just a a, a rote memory, but you've meditated on this and it's become a part of your life. Then what happens is that no matter what situation you get in, all of a sudden you have these scripture verses coming to your mind that tell you how to deal with the situation. Or you think of a passage in the Bible or a parable that all of a sudden speaks into a situation or someone comes for help, someone comes for counseling, and then all of a sudden you know what to do because of the Word of God. Morning by morning you do this. It says of the Messiah, it says of the Messiah in the book of Isaiah, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Jesus was listening to the Word of God morning by morning. I urge you. I was just speaking at Asbury University in Kentucky last week, and I addressed their chapel in the same chapel where the Asbury Revival broke out in, in, uh, um, in 1970. And, and um, uh, uh, as I was speaking to them, I was just trying to say, would you get up in the morning, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, you get up in the morning and you spend in the Word of God. You say, I'm really tired in the morning, okay? So what you do is you go to bed 20 minutes earlier than you normally go to bed. You have to have your life revolve around this book. This is your life. These are the words of Christ. This is our life. The scriptures tell us, specifically in in Deuteronomy 32, we're told this is our life. It's our life. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all the people, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, even all the words of this law. Shall you, for you shall teach it to your children so that they may observe it. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. These scriptures are our life. It's our life. So imagine going throughout your life without taking the life of God in your life. What's your life going to be like? It's going to be empty and void. You say, well, you, you know, I just kind of missed it today. Okay, so what happens if you go a day without eating? You go a day without eating, you feel pretty weak, right? Go three days without eating and and try to have a wrestling match with somebody and tell me how you do. It is very hard. It is the same thing spiritually when you go without your daily bread of the Word of God. This is the Word of Christ. I urge you, if there is one thing that I could leave with you, it's to get into the Word of God Every day of your life. Every day. Do you know what every day means? I mean, is that a hard concept? Every day. Every day of your life, you get in the Word of God. Every day. And what will happen is, you will become like like Iron Man. Iron Woman. To all your friends. It will be different. Your life becomes different. Spiritually different. If you're in the Word of God every day. And what will happen is, over decades, that 20 minutes will not be long enough for you. You'll want more. You'll want more. But you just start out with that. Every day in the Word of God. Start your morning. Start your day in the Word of God. You say, well, I'm a night person. Shift it. Get on in, in, in the Bible in, in the morning. Learn to shift your life in accordance. You will do much better in life if you learn to be an early riser 
and start the day. You'll do much better in life when you have that sort of discipline in your life. And that's what's modeled to us. That's what's told to us in the book of Isaiah. It writes about the life of Jesus and says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen to His disciple. In Mark chapter 1, it says, I think it's in verse 35, that, that while it was still dark, while uh, before anyone else had arisen, Jesus, while it was still dark, He would go off to a lonely place and He would go pray. Why would it tell us that He would go early in the morning while it was still dark going off to a lonely place and pray. Why would it tell us that? Because that's what he did. That's what he did. That was his practice. That was his practice. Let's learn to practice this. Not because Jim Tour says so. I'm nothing. I mean, it's because the Word of God tells us how to order our lives. There's there's life here. There's life here for this. And, and these are the words of Christ. And he goes on in verse 18. But I say, surely they never heard But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely did Israel not know? Surely Israel did not know, did they? For Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So he says in, 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 in verse, in, in verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard. Have they? Indeed they have. So you say, did Israel really hear this word? By the time this book was written in the late 50s AD, every Jewish community in the world had had the gospel message preached to it. In large part because of Paul himself. But every community had had the word preached. And what you see here is, is he, he's citing two verses here. He's going to cite Psalm 19 verse 4 and then Deuteronomy chapter, uh, I'm sorry, he'll cite Psalm 19 verse 4 where he says, their vo- voice has gone out into all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. So Israel has heard. And then in verse 19, but I say Israel did not know, did they? Did they know about this? And now you see two verses, Deuteronomy 32, 21, and then Isaiah 65, 1. These are two verses that speak about the church. People think the church was a mystery and it was only revealed in the New Testament. That's not the mystery that Paul was talking about. The mystery that was revealed only in the New Testament is that Jews and Gentiles will be worshiping together. Not that there was going to be a church, because here's at least two verses. He says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. So there's 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 one passage that he talks about, uh, I'm going to make you jealous by that which is not a nation. Or some translations say, a no nation. What is not a nation? It is the church. It is composed of many nations put together. I'm going to make you jealous by them. And then this concept of this jealousy is going to be picked up upon in two more places in, in chapter 11 of Romans, which we'll see. He says, I'm going to make you jealous through this. And and why make them jealous? Because it is a great way to evangelize. How do we know? Because God uses that method. People say, how do I share with Jews? How do I do this? You make them jealous. How do you make them jealous? By the depth of your walk and your love for God. I have made Orthodox Jews cry. I have. 
Not by preaching to them, just by talking about God. By talking about the God of Israel and all these scripture verses that they know. And I talk about it and it makes them weep. Because they're so convicted that look at this Messianic Jewish guy knows all of this stuff and he's had no formal training from any of the rabbis. It makes them weep. There's jealousy that arises. Or some of them, it makes them angry. And I've done that with Orthodox Jews too. Because you, you speak the word of God. And it says, it's exactly this. And then what happens is it's not just Jews that see this, it's the world. Gentiles see this. They see your life. They see your marriage. They see your family. Remember Rick Smalley, the great Nobel Prize winner who discovered C60, the Buckminster Fullerene, was the one who recruited me here to Rice when I came here in 1999. And uh, uh, he used to say, he says, Jim, how, how do you have this one wife who really loves you? And these kids who love you, how do you do this? How do you have this research group where everybody seems to be happy in? How do you do this? So here, I'm like 40 years old, and he's he's in his late 50s. He's got a Nobel Prize, and he said, I want to have lunch with you. Explain this to me. Explain this to me. So we're having lunch together, and I'm explaining it to him. He, the first thing we sit down, he says, Jim, explain to me this. What is the power what is this power in Jesus Christ? I mean, that was his question to me. And then, as we're talking about this, the president of the university, who was Malcolm Gillis at the time, he used to come to the faculty club and just go get a plate and walk around, where's he going to sit? And so Rick Smalley and I are speaking, and he walks up, and uh, he says, can I join you? And Rick says, we're talking about the power of Jesus Christ. He says, oh, I want to hear about that too. And he sat right down at the table. I mean, look at the opportunity. So, so you see here what happens is that he does this, there's power in this. What really caught Rick's attention because he had had multiple marriages, multiple broken children, and he saw that this woman, that I had been married to the same woman all these years, and she loved me and I loved her, and it brought conviction upon them. This is what impresses the world. It's not so much our words, it's often our life. They see this and they go, wow, there's something there. There's something there. And this is what he's talking about. And then in, in, in verse 20, he says, And Isaiah is very bold. So Paul is saying, Isaiah is very bold. I mean, Paul was very bold. But if Paul is saying, Isaiah was very bold, I mean, Isaiah must have been, you know, just, just off the charts bold. And what did he say that was so bold? He says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. So God visits the people who were not seeking Him. God visits the people He manifests to, to people who did not ask for Him. Can God come upon a life? Just boom, yes. I tell you, He can. You don't even have to be asking for Him. And if, he, if, if, if you're among the elect, boom, He comes upon your life. They didn't even ask. If you ask, you will receive. Well, the guy didn't ask. But God wanted him and it happened. And he gets your consent. I'm telling you, the day his power comes upon you, your consent will come. His will dominates all. You think, man's will. Man's will succumbs to God's will. That's what happens. He gets our will. And he came upon Gentiles who weren't even asking for him to make the Jews jealous. To make them jealous. That's how you draw them. That's how it's going to happen. And Paul's going to follow up on this in chapter 11. And he says in verse 21, 
But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He says, I am just pouring out myself to these people. And, and they're not paying attention. I'm going to go to a people who aren't even asking for me. And I'm going to see them converted. And through their lives, they're going to bring jealousy upon Israel. And that's going to bring Israel in. How do you witness to a Jew? Your life just exuding God makes them jealous for the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. How do you witness to a Jew? Your life to the point where they say, how do you do this? How does this happen? Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, I pray for these young people here today that you would keep them from adultery. When these young men go to work and and uh, there may be people around, women around that are even hitting on them. Father, I pray that they would remember your word, what it says regarding adultery. And they, they would remember this day the pain it would cause in their lives. And Father, I pray for the women who are here the same thing, that they would learn to fear you and walk in your way. And Father, I pray that you'd get a hold of their hearts too. You'd get a hold of their hearts. Father, for those who are struggling with pornography, who are looking at women with lust in their hearts, Father, I pray thee, deliver them. Just as you delivered me, deliver them, I pray. Father, your mercy upon them, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you give them just life, life in the Lord. And that they would realize that this word of God is life to them. That they would learn from this day to start their day in the word of God. To start this practice in the word of God. To daily be in the scriptures. And through this that they would have life. Lord, that they would stop reading and start meditating. To take it slowly, each verse, to savor it and to think about it. And to say, Lord, do this in my life. Oh, Father, get a hold of their hearts that they would do this. And build in them good homes and good marriages and good families that would be the envy of people around them so that others would be jealous for what they have. And Father, that there would be an attitude of preaching that would come out of them. Because how will those people hear without a preacher that the word of God would go forth? Oh, Father, your word go forth, I pray, for the glory of Jesus. For the glory of Jesus. Oh, Lord, be glorified through their lives, I pray. Be glorified. In the name of Jesus. Amen.